coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. Mine, first time I met her, I, I told her I'd like to take her out. She laughed at me. I don't know what happened. All I know when it was over, I the, the gun hit me in the in the top of my head. I had a little thing from the scope. You, you know, I was getting texts from people that were watching television. My wife, they were, are you okay? Different things. We didn't really know what was going on. When you hear a statement like that with the Democrats, take us for granted, Republicans ignore us. How does that make you feel? What's your response to that, sir? There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill. One. You got to have one. A nope. token black person? A token and there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. Public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just say thank you for the opportunity that you've given us for the freedom of speech. Thank you for this great country. Thank you for our guest today, God. God, as we continue to take care and leaders all over the community, the city, the nation, remind us to be leaders in our own home, God. God, we make decisions that affect so many people. Continue to give us wisdom and purpose in our decision-making. God, we love you and we adore you. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for America. It's a great, great country. We've got our problems. But Lord, uh, we put them in your hands and lift them up to you. We can work through them. Thank you for our guest today, Congressman Ted Budd, who's running for Senate, uh, for his willingness to be a civil servant and take uh, take all those ab- that abuse and, and, it's, and the amount of work he does with him and his family. We just lift him and his family up and ask that you surround them with your grace, your wisdom and discernment. Amen. Father in heaven, I thank you for your grace shown to us through your son, Jesus. And I thank you for your love for us and uh, the time that we have here, the technology, the relationships, and uh, the season that we're in, uh, where we celebrate the, uh, the birth of your son, who ultimately would sacrifice his life for us. Might we keep that in mind, and uh, might that be a unifying factor for us as uh, we turn to you. Be with our country, be with our leaders, uh, be with each of us today. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. 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 Congressman Bud, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. It's very nice. It's great to be with you. Thank yeah. you so much. You're yeah, Bill, Bill, he's he's sitting in the good looking black guy's chair. He's sitting <laughs> in the good looking black guy's chair. I still got freckles, though. All right. So. <laughs> yeah. This is like the, this is the, the captain's chair and the golden microphone. This is this is well done. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, golden microphone. That was like uh, 
Rush Limbaugh had one like that. And <laughs> we borrowed a couple, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's great. The, uh, you know, I was thinking about this show and uh, this is actually a Ted talk. Yeah, it really is. Well, not if you're talking. So yeah, are you turning true. it over to me now? Yeah, that's right. a good point. Maybe it's a Ted listen. <laughs> it's Ted listening at the <laughs> there moment. There you go. Well, I had the honor of meeting you a number of times, yes. a number of events. and uh, But the one that really sticks out is when we were up at the uh, retreat, at the Black Mountain retreat. And you right. had your son who was an Eagle Scout. Yeah. 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 That was a big deal to me. I think that was the catch because you may have had an Eagle on. You've got a uh, yeah. the Lake Erie Council uh, yeah. Scout shirt on right now. Well, I actually have yeah. a gift for you from the Lake Erie Council. Wow. That's where I grew up. Okay. Uh, they, they have a camp called Camp Beaumont where okay. I went and uh, they have a lot of maple trees. Mm -hmm. And what they did is uh, they, uh, one of the volunteers said, hey, you know, we I, I make maple syrup. I'll teach the kids. We'll tap the trees. And so they started doing it. Well, the new Scott executive came in, his good friend of mine, Mark Robinson, and uh, not the same one. And uh, he said, uh, wait a minute, he's making all the money. Why don't we make this a business? So he talked to him and he says, I'll tell you what, we'll give you a percentage, but the money's got to come to the scouts. So they started a business and it's called Scouts Own Maple Syrup. Wow. And they make a million dollars a year profit on it. Oh my goodness. This is, this is it's really good stuff. Yeah. Folks, he's looking at the bottle yeah. called scout zone. If you want to get it, uh, you can go to the greater Cle Cleveland council and order it online and they'll ship it to you. Well, you know, I was wondering what to get my uh, son Eagle scout for Christmas and maybe hopefully he doesn't listen to this podcast first. Cause this might be in either his stocking or. Yeah, rat. there you go. So I'm only going to re-gift it to an Eagle scout. Yeah, you're more family, than welcome. Okay? To. More so than maybe welcome. we can have some pancakes that morning. I was torn between that and a bottle of bourbon, but I figured this would be better. Well, this kind of looks like one. <laughs> and he is over 21. <laughs> he is. Oh, he does drink bourbon too. Okay. We have boy scout bourbon, you know, didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a big seller. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Congressman soon to be Senator. Uh, thank you. First thing, thank you for coming. Uh, this means a lot to us. You know, I was thanking when I was doing some preliminary stuff. Uh, at 14 years old, my mother bought me my first um, firearm. It was a 410 single shot, and she had a box of shells in it. Boy, you couldn't tell me nothing. I mean, every bird in South, I mean, every squirrel in South Carolina had to take cover because I had a 410 single shot, hold the shells between my fingers when I would go rabbit hunting. And it's just it's just just some good memories. And, you know, Bill, I had a conversation over the holidays with some of my black friends and we were just talking. Right. And they were just talking. Congressman, they said, hey, what would happen, Odell? Because I always say, hey, the Democrats take the black vote for granted. The Republicans ignore the black vote. The black vote is caught between a political rock and a hard place. So my friend and I won't mention her name. She's a very influential young lady. She said, what would happen if the black vote did this? Seventeen percent. Republicans, 33% independents, 50% Democrats. And it's like, okay, and we're open to talk to everybody, you know? And I asked the question, Odell, will you vote for a Republican, a white Republican? I said, yeah, I've done that before. You know, I can tell you about that. And so Bill is the question is, would you vote for a black Democrat? And I think you would say I vote for the best person. But to the Congressman, one of the things that I love about what you're doing is the fact that you try to find common ground in your politics. You're not mean spirited and all this kind of stuff, because what we're worrying about, we are uh, Bill and myself is about, are we having a conversation about what may be the results of 2024 election? Bill, your thoughts. 
Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I saw the congressman at our Rotary Club and he did a great job talking about this was maybe a year ago. But there was a couple gotchas in there. Mm. Some people got up and asked you some some questions that I thought were unfair. And I was impressed on how you handled it. You, you, you diffused it. You didn't confront it and make it a controversial issue because I think you realized that I'm not going to convince this person. They're just trying to make a grandstand. And I, I was really impressed with that. I said, well, there's a guy that's pretty good guy. He must must be a scout in there someplace. I think that was at the Coliseum. <laughs> that was at the Coliseum. Oh, yes, I remember that. Yeah. We hadn't met maybe in, maybe we met briefly in person before that. But yeah, I remember Don Brady invited you. I sat at the yeah. table with Don. And what an intro he gave me that day. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we missed him. You know, yeah. Oh, I love him. Soul. I was with him the day he died the day before he died. Mm. And we had a hamburger together. I said, Don, what do you want? He said, I want a hamburger. And he, he told me how greasy he wanted it. And I got him the greasiest hamburger I can get him. Uh, just, I miss him. He's a great guy. Yeah, the last meal I had with him was a barbecue off a Wendover. Yeah. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great man. That's great. So listen, we had a guest on just before you, and we were talking about uh, different things and something came up that was interesting. It was called a uh, political polarization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were in January 6th, you were in the Capitol. You got, you were in the middle of all that. Yeah. How, how did you feel? What was going on? Uh, have you reflected on, you know, they had to escort you out. You, you, you're a gun owner. So you're thinking, boy, I could defend myself if I had to. Yeah. With an iPad and a sharp pencil. That day. <laughs> That's it. I got a 410. I have a single I shot 410. Oh. I needed you. All right. So let me do this. Uh, so we don't get out of sequence here. All right. I want to go back Odell to something you mentioned just a minute ago, and then we'll talk about that day. Uh, I've got a verse that was kind of stuck in my crawl, if you will. And first of all, I think first as a Christian, and then second as a family person, then as a business person, probably then eventually as a as a political figure. Wow! But I think that kind of serves the kind of the how I do politics is kind of your opening comments there, Odell. There's this verse in Ephesians uh, chapter two, uh, verse fourteen, and it says, "For he himself is our peace." Reflecting on Jesus here, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now we're in a hostile environment, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yeah, but we, you know, I was thinking first as a as a first of all, as someone who's created by God, as all of us are, and then someone um, that has received, you know, his grace. Uh, I want to operate out of that lens and I want the love of Christ to come come through, even in trying times, whether it's at that moment at the rotary, that was a, a tough moment to diffuse, or whether it was last January, 11 months ago. So, you, you know, I was getting texts from people that were watching television, my wife, they were, are you okay? Different things. We didn't really know what was going on. I stayed at the Capitol that day to focus on my constitutional duties. When we realized there was uh, an incursion into the building, uh, it wasn't about this party or that party. I mean, there was some partisan activity that day. Yeah. But it was like making sure people are okay. So when they realized that the police had secured the building and then they opened a way for us to exit safely, what they thought was safely, uh, we had a new congressman from our state who was in a wheelchair, Madison Cawthorn, wanted to make sure he was in a safe place uh, because he couldn't use the steps. Mm. Um, So wanted to make sure, and he doesn't know how to navigate through the tunnels. They're not secret tunnels, but from the Capitol with a dome on it across the street to the south to... uh, where we were headed. I want to make sure he was okay. And the other is as I'm exiting the building with Capitol police, 
and other people that can't move as quickly, put my arm around someone uh, going down the steps. And I had not met this person before. So uh, I realized later after I'm in another congressman's uh, office, I'm with uh, Madison, who's in a wheelchair. And I'm thinking like, who did I have my arm around going down the steps? It was an African-American woman that I had not yet met. And um, I looked up through the um, I looked up through the, the pictures to make sure I, I recognized everybody. She was from California and it was Barbara Lee. Oh, wow. Congresswoman Barbara. Wow. Lee. And, and so we had gone down the steps arm in arm together. And I called, I, you know, I called her office, got her number, uh, her cell phone. We ended up connecting and just making sure each other were OK. So that's the inside story about. And, and then within a matter of hours, it was largely dissipated. What I saw that morning, uh, I took a nine minute walk down to get some groceries, uh, but seven o'clock in the morning, seven thirty in the morning. Casual people coming in, a few flags from Taiwan and other countries that were supportive of the general movement of freedom. And what transpired in those uh, the, the darkest hour around January 6th was nothing like I saw before and later on that day. Mm. You know, it left a scar. It was a very bad day for our country. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you wish you could wind back the tape. Yeah. Um, you know, very unfortunate. Yeah. That day. Well, you know, there's, there's bad apples everywhere. And, uh, unfortunately they showed up at the Capitol that day and decided to take things in their own hand, but I appreciate you sharing the story and the human side of it, because we just see the, the clips they give us and, uh, we don't hear the human side and you just brought that to it, it. it. Look, it's tremendously politicized as are many things. You got to peel back a few layers to see what's really going on. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm for uh, for justice and law and order, whether it's in downtown Charlotte or downtown Raleigh or whether it's at the Capitol. Sure. And, you know, you have to be you have to have a sort of level of the playing field when you think about justice. Yeah, absolutely. So you're running a campaign. Are you running all over the state? You're wearing this guy out. <laughs> uh, tell us about the campaign and what you what your vision is for the state. Yeah, thank you very much. So um, I, I, I look through those lenses that I shared earlier. Mm hmm. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, our, our life is expiring moment by moment, uh, year by year. And you want it, you want it to count for something. You want to make sure that you're serving your, your fellow mankind. Um, and this is an opportunity to serve a lot of people and uh, whatever their background is to make life better for them. You hope they agree with you politically. They don't always. But even those who may not at the end of the day agree with me politically, I think that if my worldview is allowed to operate and the legislation that comes out of that, that their life will be better at the end of the day. Their neighborhoods will be safer. Their economy will be better. Their wages will rise. Their freedoms will increase. And so those are the things that I'm out there seeking to do. And I hope to be able to communicate that uh, first in the primary, which is different politically until March 8th than the general. But afterwards, um, I hope that I'm able to make sure that the broadest swath of people understands that I'm out for their good. Oh man, that's great. That is great. You know, folks listening to this, remember what you just heard, because when the campaign starts, the craziness starts, the victimization, they're going to make this guy look like he has horns. Uh, and I'm, I'm feeling, it, I'm wearing your headset. Yeah, right now, so, you go. Uh, we'll keep my, yeah. I got a 410 and I got a half a box of <laughs> have, you have you said that, you know, that's the only caliber of shotgun that's actually listed by caliber rather than gauge. 
Wow. All right. Wow. All right. There you go. A little you inside go. detail. There you go. Well, you know, Odell and I do deer hunting together. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I got to be able to go deer hunting with him up in Sparta. And uh, we were in the same deer stand. It was a big deer stand. And I looked out and there's this big old buck. Mm. And, and I said, Odell, out there, there's a big buck. He goes, he looks like it was holy cow. I said, shoot it. He goes, no, you shoot it. I said, no, you shoot it. And he got buck fever. Did you get the shakes? I don't know what happened. All I know <laughs> when it was over, I the, the gun hit me in the in the top of my head. I had a little thing from the scope. The deer looked at me and sticked his tongue out and walked away because I already had him on Facebook. Before I pulled the trigger, I already had posing with him on Facebook. How do you like me now? Talk about the poor boy with his 410 now. How do you like me now? It's but it's nothing it's like deal. it, man. But there's a big difference between a, a gray squirrel and a, a, a white-tailed buck. Yeah, but all day long. I will say, uh, my I'm going to extend an offer for my 17 year old daughter to come over and coach you through that if you'd like to. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you probably could use it. Yeah, so well, I get a call in Washington. You know, uh, it's about a year ago this time, and it's it's early in the morning, and it's a whisper, and it's my daughter. I'm like, uh, Macy, are you okay? And she said, Dad, I just shot a buck. Well, I was like, really? And because you know, I said, look, if you're going to coached her through this beforehand if you're going to shoot one you know have a plan where you're going to take it you, you got it you got a uh, you know a taxidermist that you're going to go to and yeah she had it all laid Save out she knew how to field dress it so wow. we you know she's my wife is holding the uh the facetime phone open watching her field dress this thing on the gambrels uh behind the house and Oh you know, man! All squared away, but very proud of her. She's a great outdoors woman. That's great. Did you record that? Was it recorded? Uh, I think it is. We is have it? pictures and some uh, some footage of. Well, it that's somewhere. something. When she gets married, you can put up on the screen and show everybody <laughs> and say, "This should you do to her husband if he doesn't behave." We're gonna have a great reception <laughs> and rehearsal. <laughs> oh, that is great. That is great. Great story. You know, I actually went rabbit hunting with your dad, with Greg Smith, up in Madison, twice. You've told me that story before. Yeah. That's right. And and uh, and uh, you know, I didn't know you then. Uh, but I knew your dad and, and the businesses. In fact, I was at deer camp all this week with Greg Smith in the same spot with, okay. we go, we've been going up there 15 years. Um, you know, we do a second amendment, uh, rabbit shoot. Yeah. And, uh, we did one a couple, couple of years ago when we get another one, if you're in town, I'll invite you and you can join us. That sounds great. Yeah. We don't get many rabbits, but we have a lot of fun. You know, we're kind of, uh, skipping over the, the, the big part of the conversation and that is second amendment. And Odell, you and I had a great conversation about two and a half years ago in your office. Do you remember yes. that conversation? Yes. Yes. And, and you walked me through six incorrect assumptions that folks can tend to have about, uh, you know, where people come down politically. And you walked me through some pretty critical issues. I don't know if you listed by six or if you remember those. They're in my notes somewhere. But that was an eye-opening and formative conversation about school choice, about um, you know economic growth, about entrepreneurship, about Second Amendment, and I just want to thank you for that conversation and broadening my thinking that day. But I still remember it, uh, you know, like it was yesterday, and it's still in my notes. Well, you know, it's interesting that, and this is what we try to do. Um, of course, I'm the good-looking black guy, the Democrat. Uh, Bill is the good-looking white guy who's Republican. And now you're sitting in the good-looking black guy seat, uh, Congressman. So I know you feel a little more soul. You know, you got a little more soul in you now. You're sitting in the soul brother seat. But, but you know, it's interesting. 
I make I make statements and I say things. And one of my statements is that the Democratic Party takes the black vote for granted. The Republican Party ignores the black vote. The black votes caught between a political rock and a hard place. Now, that's one of my soapbox things, because I don't believe. Well, I can't tell anybody how to vote. I don't think it serves as a black person. It serves us the best for. We have so much in the Democratic Party. So and I'm and I'm talking to other people. I get it. You know, I'm not saying that proud Democrat, but the system don't always work for us. When you hear a statement like that with the Democrats take us for granted, Republicans ignore us. How does that make you feel? What's your response to that, sir? You know, it's it, it, I would think kind of what, what's your response is probably very similar. I, I don't like anybody for any reason ever being taken for granted. You want to deal with people kind of what we mentioned earlier is that we're we're created by God. And we want to operate out of those values um, and not primarily about how we look or uh, demographic background. So I want to make sure that, that people um, stand on their own as individuals valued and created by God. Right. Now, how about the point of Republicans ignore the black vote? I'm seeing less of that. I think there's to your point. I have, I have seen that before and it's really, it's like looking at, you know, a, a giant um, uh, you know, glass that you can't get through. And how do we, I think the heart is there, but it's almost like it's so hard to cross over into issue by issue. And what right. it may have not been your words two and a half years ago when we met in your office, but you went through those six things. And I'm like, and then Amy Kate, my sweet wife, she was in a conversation with an African-American woman and they, and she was like, She's a Democrat. And Amy Kate said, well, let's talk through issues. And not exactly word for word, but she went through a lot of the things, school choice, economic opportunity, safety, you know, defunding the police, Second Amendment. And they were they were lockstep in that conversation. And then Amy Kate said to her new friend, she said, well, why are you still a Democrat? And her friend said, because I still want to talk to my mama. (laughs) <laughs> all right did that resonate Odell? i'm just asking yes I feel like it's it, definitely your laughter because, okay yes because i'm for school choice i don't believe in defunding the pro- police i think we need to retool some things as a black man who has been victimized by law enforcement i just think that we need to retool some things also we have to have some conversations too about black on black crime as black folks we don't like to talk about that uh, i said something once and People got real upset with me. I said, you know, and, and I stand by the statement and if people are going to get upset again, but email Bill, don't email Odell. I said, if a white police officer kill a black person, we will t- turn the city upside down and everything else. However, if black folks kill black folks, people don't say much about it. And I know that that's going to be hard for people to hear, but I, I get it on both sides of it, but a life's a life. And again, I'm saying that as a proud uh, lifelong Democrat who has some very conservative uh, bents to him, and is a black person, a good-looking black guy, but at the same time, and humble. I think sometimes, huh? And you're very humble too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but 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 the thing about it, while I respect you, we don't always agree on everything. But what I respect about you is two and a half years ago, you said, Odell, let me come and listen. Let me come and listen. And we don't always agree, but we respect each other. And Bill, I think as I hand it off to you, that whole thing of respecting each other, that's what it's about. Because if not, we're going to tear each other apart. 
And I just think that democracy is so fragile. It's so fragile that we can't play with it because as we stated before, we have our enemies, Russia and everybody else who wants to be our enemies is looking at us like, oh, wow, you just have to sit back, boys, and let them destroy themselves. Yeah. Brilliant observation. Yeah. You know, democracy was set up to have tension. It was set up to debate. It was set up to challenge each other on concepts. But then it was set up, somebody's going to make a decision, we're going to all move in the same direction. Uh, And we've seemed to have lost some of that. You know, when I I worked in the House uh, for a congressman, Democratic guy from Ohio, as he would go, he lived in DC and his kids went to school with you. You've heard this story about people living there and stuff as opposed to living here in their, their district, but it seemed more civil, you know, and they used the, the Ronald Reagan example with tip O'Neill and how they used to say, you know, we're going to argue, but at five o'clock we're going to sit down and have a bourbon or a drink. And uh, one day Reagan called tip and it was about noon. He goes, I think it's five o'clock. And we got to get to that point. And I know there's some of that as you do it and you build relationships uh, with people, but the press just gets in there and makes everybody look like they hate each other and they don't want to work together. Like it or not. Mm -hmm. Hate is a very powerful motivator. I don't like that. It is. I think the issue is less a political divide, less even a racial divide and more a factor of human nature. Yeah. And I, I think it has to do with, um, you know, issues that go back to the garden. Amen. Amen. Oh, I, no doubt about it. You know, uh, Bill, be careful, Bill. You know, he's a, he went to seminary. You I know. know I, seminary, right? Yeah. Where, tell us about that. Tell about us about going to seminary. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think you were in the garden. I, no, I'm older than you I'm, and I know I'm I wasn't suffering the results of it. As are <laughs> we, we all. all. Yeah. 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 But you went, you went to seminary. Yeah. So um, my wife and I, um, well, let's go back to August of 1991. Okay. So if you think politically and geopolitically, what was going on, you've got uh, tensions in the Cold War. I went on the, I think it was the first mission trip, Christian mission trip to the Soviet Union. Wow. wow. It wasn't Russia. It was Russia, but that was one of the Soviet Union. And so I went there with a, a mission trip, Josh McDowell, people that were probably eight years old to 80 years old. There was 405 Americans on that trip. That's a big mission. They, trip. They, it was, it was huge. And they chartered two Aeroflot planes over there. Wow. Uh, went to Moscow. I believe that was our first stop. Bus opens up on Red Square and I'm thinking I'm going to jail. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> and we're, we're distributing Christian literature. Oh my god. The goodness. gospel of Luke translated in Russian. We've, we've also brought over multiple suitcases that we could bring and then we'd leave one there with medical supplies in it. Um, and, uh, you know, so as I step off the bus, these people find out that we're giving them the gospel and they start these elderly people that had sensed freedom before probably pre 1917, they're pulling open our, uh, our backpacks and then distributing it to their friends. Wow. Cause they're so elated to see, you know, the gospel, which ultimately is freedom. Um, so two things happened that very week. One is the Iron Curtain began to collapse, and we saw all sorts of things happen. It was on international news, and, and Yeltsin uh, was at the airport shaking hands. He rose to power. Gorbachev uh, stepped down. Gorbachev stepped down. And the second thing that happened was I met my wife. Really? And, she was on the mission trip? She was on the mission trip. Yeah, people are like, oh, you met her in Russia. You know, how's her English? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You know, she's from West Virginia. Last so. name is Yuri. That's right. That's right. No, she's oh, from my the heart goodness. of West Virginia. 
So, uh, you know, after we graduated college, her at Marshall University, Thundering Herd and me from uh, App State, you know, we, we got married and went to Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas. Fabulous um, start to life together. Still have great relationships from there. And came back in uh, the late 90s and started life back here in Winston-Salem triad area. So, uh, you know, uh, I just think that was an amazing experience to have, have gone out there and to have guys like Tony Evans, Chuck wow. Swindoll, um, uh, just uh, Howard Hendricks, John Hanna, everywhere from great preachers and orators to scholars. I didn't picture myself ever as a pastor. Maybe I'd be involved in a ministry like Young Life or something um, or a parachurch type ministry. But I thought uh, I really want a theological understanding through which to process the world. If God created us, maybe there's something to learn from him that would make me more effective as I navigate this world for my remaining years. Wow. And you are in a ministry. It's called the U.S. Congress. <laughs> Going to the so. Senate. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. I mean, that's a huge ministry there. What a fascinating story. So she's from West Virginia. Where in West Virginia? She was born in South Charleston. Mm -hmm. She's a coal miner's granddaughter. Holy cow. That's right. Wow. That's right. And then later, um, you know, still a young girl moved to the Eastern Panhandle, which is squished right in there between Maryland and Northern Virginia. Okay. So Very north good. of Winchester, Virginia in Martinsburg. Okay. Now I know you have one son that's an Eagle Scout. That's right. And tell us about your family. So we have three children, mm -hmm. uh, a 22 year old getting ready to wrap up at Liberty mm -hmm. and then a 20 year old at Samford in Birmingham, Alabama. And then one that is, uh, we're still at home, our youngest Macy and, you know, right because we're talking about a little bit about the campaign. One of the things she said to me, she said, dad, I'm 17, but I will be able to vote in the primary because I'll be 18 by the general. And I was like, that's great. And she says, I'll go anywhere in the state and tell young people how important it is to vote. Oh man. And that'll melt a dad's heart right yeah. there. Yeah. Ooh, that makes me. Ooh. <laughs> Absolutely. That makes me. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. It's a great family situation. Well, this week I was on Zoom from Washington, DC, as she was in front of a ladies group in Charlotte. Wow. Three generations of buds. It was my sweet mother uh, that was on that uh, trip to Russia with me. And uh, then it was my wife, Amy Kate, and then my daughter, Macy. So wow. at a women's event, and I was able to speak, but I really wanted to step back and listen to her. Speak. Yeah. Yeah. Job. Oh, 17. Wow. How rich is that? Now, is the Bud family go back far in North Carolina? Uh, so my dad was a first, you'll, this is a, a great story. So before I was ever born, right. Um, when Wake Forest was in the town of Wake Forest and that's how, you know, as North Carolinians, we have to explain why Wake Forest is in Winston-Salem. <laughs> well, so RJ Reynolds wanted a world-class university. They essentially supported the move from Wake Forest town to Winston-Salem, still Wake Forest University. It was Wake Forest College at the time, by the way. Uh -huh. But they needed a great basketball team. And Odell, I feel like we may have even had this story when we, we shared it years ago. But So they recruited a young Dave Bud from Woodbury High in South Jersey to come play. South Jersey. Yeah, so right across from Philadelphia. Yeah. And so he came down and played under a guy named Bones McKinney. Well, Dave's younger brother is my dad, Richard Bud. And so Dave Bud later went on to play for the New York Knicks. Uh, my dad cow. had come down and stayed, but my, his, his older brother, Dave, my uncle, went to the New York Knicks and got really famous one night when he was playing basketball at Hershey Arena against Wilt Chamberlain. Oh, my gosh. And the night that Wilt scored 100 points. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, oh wow. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow, that so he's got an asterisk there. He does. He does. <laughs> and, uh, great, you know, uh, played I think five or six years for the Knicks and uh, gets his NBA pension. He's 80, uh, 81, I what believe. Great stories, but great, you know, great oh. health and um, you know, pretty well known up in that in that area. So my dad said, "I love North Carolina," you know, from nineteen sixty on, and said, "I'm staying." And, uh, you know, life began here, you know, 10 years later for me. Yeah. And you're a successful small business person. Your dad is too. He started out small and <clears throat> now it's a little bit bigger, but, uh, I understand you own a gun shop. I do. Well, you know, 11 years ago, the Winston, uh, the Winston LPD came to me and there was a bankrupt closed indoor gun range and in the North side of Winston in rural hall. And the PD needed a place to train. They were driving to Thomasville. It was a long way away. And they said, would you allow us to train here? We'll be your first customer. And uh, before I opened it, the training captain, uh, then lieutenant, he came to me and said, never underestimate the need of the public to have a safe place to shoot. Hmm. I said, you're telling me to open this to the public, not just keep it for you all. He's like, absolutely. And so our motto has since you know, 11 years later, our motto has become helping our community responsibly enjoy firearms. Oh man! So from the 410 in South Carolina back in the day, that's great. We want hey, more uh, firearms in the hands of responsible people. And Odell, you sure seem like one. Hey, listen, I appreciate it. But my main question, Congressman, is this. What was your pickup line in Russia when you met your wife? What was the pickup line? I think hers. I don't remember mine, but hers was like, Niet. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. Niet. <laughs> mine, first time I met her, I, I told her I'd like to take her out. She laughed at me. And I'm like, okay, if I... This could hurt my ego. And she says, why do you want to go out with me? And I said, well, I'd like to get to know you. And she thought that was a good enough thing. And now we've been married 28 years. Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah. I, I will tell you that the romance didn't start there. It started because it was a group now called Crew. They had a conference in Daytona Beach, which is uh, adjacent to, you know, kind of spring break, bike week, Daytona Beach. I went down there to, I was in an overflow hotel and I realized a couple doors down, she was there with Marshall University. I was with my guy friends from App State and I went and knocked on her door and said, would you like to go ride motorcycles on the beach? And wow. she said, yes. And, you know, I've got skills on two wheels and, uh, and I think that's what made her fall in love. Wow. Wow. <laughs> now see, Bill, see what happens when the congressman sits in the good looking black guy seat. He gets skills, he gets skills, he gets skills. You know, it's interesting, <laughs> Congressman. Um, let me ask a question. Um, first thing, I want to say how much I respect you because you remind me a lot of um, our buddy Bill. Oh, um, was in District 6 before Mark Walker. Um, Is this Coble? Oh, Howard Coble. Howard Coble. Howard yes, yes. One thing about Howard Coble. You knew he would say yay or nay. And he was this is nice. And, you know, that's the thing about it. You have to say what you believe. And I appreciate that. You're in a tough race, of course. If you had opportunity to say to black people, black Democrats, that why, why should a black Democrat vote for you in the general? Because, of course, we can't vote in the primary. What would you say? I don't think it has to be that complicated. I just want folks to know me. I want them to know my heart. And I want them, first of all, to know that I am for them. That by supporting me, I will work day and night to make their lives, their neighborhoods, their communities better. Great answer. Great yeah. answer. To you, Bill. 
Well, you know, just to reinforce that statement, you've already proven it by doing it in Congress. So it's just going to be in a bigger, bigger area. Thank you. It's like when you're a great salesman, they give you more territory, right? And if you're a good shot, you get a bigger gun, (laughs) not a 410. (laughs) I like that one. Hey, the skilled hunters, the skilled duck hunters still use 410. Do they really? They do. Oh, my goodness. Hey, just for the record now, last year at the rabbit hunt, I couldn't find any um, ammo for my 12-gauge pump. So I end up having my 410 with the... And I rabbit came take it off, Bill. I t- turned around and I got him. So, you know, the good looking black guy with a single shot 410 and I have some witnesses. So, you know, and it's the same 410 that my mother bought me when I was 14 years old. And it's, it's interesting. She bought me the gun when a lot of people say, don't you dare give that boy a gun. Hunting and proper training of firearms is a big deal. It helped change my life. It gave me a different perspective and a love that I still love to this day. I could go in the woods, Bill, and I could hear a, a leaf fall from the tree in the deer stand. And you could hear that leaf hit a branch and just go, go, go. I love the outdoors. I love the outdoors. It's good for the soul. We need a lot more people. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from. And a lot more people to spend more time in the woods and have the mentorship and the responsibility that goes along with that. And you didn't learn firearms from Hollywood. You learned it or, you know, from YouTube, you learned it, uh, you learned it the right way. You learned it safely and you yeah. still carry that with you today. Amen. Yeah. Well said, you know, that's, it, it made me think of scouting because our laboratory is the outdoors. Yes, it is. We take them out there and let them learn and let them make mistakes and within a safe area. And, and, uh, we also teach a lot of gun safety, a yeah. lot of gun safety. We had a group of kids come in uh, to our camp and they were shooting, uh, I think they were shooting four tens. We had some four tens they moved into, and we asked him. He said, "What do you think of this?" And he said, "Doesn't sound like the guns in our neighborhood." Mm. I was like, "Okay, this is a whole different level. We're getting near those black kids, Bill. Those black kids you talking about? They were. They were. They were from the inner city. Uh, We're getting near the end. You have a hard stop. We want to respect that. We always give our guests uh, two things: the last word and how do you find common ground." Uh, you find common ground by listening to what other people are interested in. Mm. And I, I, you look, I, I want to know, like, we're obviously Odell's interested in the 410 because that's very meaningful from growing up as a kid in South Carolina to now. Um, you're interested in scouting. We've all three of us have common ground. So I think uh, God's given us two ears and one mouth for a mm. reason. Mm. So let's listen to one another. And uh, it's important to, uh, to know others before you seek to be known. So I think that's important. And, you know, I want, first of all, I think it's most important before we be reconciled with each other, we'd be reconciled with our creator through his son mm. who came as the ultimate sacrifice mm. for anything we ever could have done wrong past, present, and future. And I think by leaning on that out of that, we'll solve these other issues. Great. Great. Well said. Well, Congressman Bud, future senator thank you for being on our show we we we're going to talk about this as a ted talk but then you'd have to do all the talking so we'll call it a ted conversation bill odell i look forward to continuing the conversation whenever you all are ready and you've been gracious hosts so thank you we'll have you back again thank you very much congressman just want to end it this way i had um, as you know i'm from south carolina geechee's former slaves one of our great great grandmothers would pray like this and i'll say the prayer and then i'll interpret what it meant she would say, you know what I done ya for? I ain't got to tell ya. And what she's saying is, God, 
you know why I'm down here on my knees, what I'm praying for. I don't need to say it to you. So Congressman, I pray for your safety. I pray for your family. And I just pray for your decision-making as God continues to lead you. And I'll end it with this. You know what we're down here for. I ain't got to tell you. And thank you so much for coming on our show today, sir. Blessings and thank you, Odell. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulating and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved.